Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm, please visit excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hi, and welcome to the conversation on Colloquium. Today, I'm excited to have Ellen Pack with me, and I'll be very forthright and honest here. I'm incredibly biased. Ellen is a fellow Wesleyan graduate, and I don't hide my love for the school. My wife went there. My brother went there. I had incredible experience, and I think is some of the most you know smart, creative people who do really interesting work. And I think Ellen is a great embodiment of that, considering her story, which I'll let her tee up, but it's quite the journey. So thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So let's start with you. Maybe give background because I want to get into new story, obviously, and really focus on that. But the journey of how you got there, I think, really informs the conversation. So if you don't mind giving a little bit of background on yourself and what you did prior to your current role. Yeah, for sure. So went to Wesleyan. I'm also a very proud Wesleyan alum. And over there, I majored in economics and sociology. Post-college, I started my career in investment banking at Goldman Sachs. And I'd always had the interest of kind of diving into the world of social impact and the intersection of just the world of business and supporting vulnerable communities. And it was really quite fortuitously that I came across a new story. There was a firm-wide contest at the time called the Analyst Impact Fund, where analysts at Goldman could team up with each other and pitch a nonprofit of their choice. And throughout our research, we came across a new story. And um, I really just fell in love with the mission and the team and the organization and the vision and ended up at the conclusion of about six months after the conclusion of the competition, moving to New Story full time. And throughout the competition, we were able to finish second place and raise about 105 grand for New Story, which was really awesome. And yeah, joined the New Story team. And I've been working as an innovation fund manager for the team ever since. And it's been such an incredible and rewarding and exciting journey. So before we get into news story, I have to ask, because it's been dominating at least my news feed recently, what are your thoughts about this pushback from junior bakers against <laughs> some of the larger wirehouse groups for quality of life, working conditions? I know you you weren't there during COVID. It was a kind of maybe an isolated incident, but obviously a longstanding issue within the industry. 
what are your general thoughts there? I'm not asking you to disparage <laughs> your former employer, but I would not love to hear, at all. I'd love to hear your commentary. I'm sure you keep up with some of your banker friends. Yeah, for sure. As you say, it's it's no secret that the culture investment banking is kind of known for kind of working people quite hard. That being said, I mean, I personally knew what I was signing up for when I joined. And so, right, like I do think that everyone kind of has that expectation of right? Not sleeping as much as they'd like, working long hours in the office before they step into those positions. That being said, I do think it's it's a great conversation that's going on right now. You know, obviously people have limits, there are boundaries, and especially when you feel like you're not able to express them, I, I think that's where the big issue lies. And so I'm glad that the conversation is happening because clearly there are folks that are clearly in need of more support. And yeah, my, my personal experience in banking was positive. It was hard work, but I am glad I went through that experience, but at the same time, totally recognize that there is a need for right conversations around perhaps better work-life balance within the sector. Yeah, I personally love hiring former investment bankers and former corporate lawyer folks and, you know, former public accounting people because they work hard. They're not, <laughs> they, they won't push back if you ask for a work product delivery on a Friday or the weekend, but at the same time, it does seem unsustainable long-term. And, you know, I, I kind of, I didn't project this or prognosticate it, but I do think this is what happens when you don't have a community within an office. Mm -hmm. People will just give you more work to do. They can't really pick up on the cues that, hey, this person's really burned out or they need a break or you're filling up that what used to be commuter time or travel time or, or downtime with just more and more work. Right. Um, so in any event, that's interesting. I wanted to hear yeah. your kind of thoughts on that. So let, let's talk about kind of this issue of chronic homelessness, lack of access to adequate shelter maybe give us a framework of what the scale of that problem is. Yeah, so it's quite crazy to think, but there are approximately 1.6 billion people around the world that currently live in what we call inadequate shelter, or living in survival mode is another kind of phrase to describe those living conditions. Basically means that uh, your living situation is so dire or potentially even harmful that your day-to-day -day is not even centered around building your life. It's about how to survive, how to get the next meal, how to stay healthy if perhaps you have dirt floors and then are prone to disease. And to think 1.6 billion people live in those conditions is quite frightening because that's, I mean, depending on what the current numbers are, I think that's almost 20% of the global population. So one in five people. And I think Right. It's quite daunting to think about how huge that problem is and how on earth would we go about addressing it. But I think that's the biggest obstacle currently is that a lot of people assume that it's not solvable and so aren't even willing to try to invest in the potential solutions that could help alleviate this issue. So yeah, at New Story, what we're trying to do is outline some ways that we can address this issue and hopefully inspire others around the world to also address homelessness within their communities. Yeah, I, I have some exposure to the issue through some connections at Vanderbilt, which has tried to create some like actual bricks and sticks infrastructure to alleviate it. But yeah, I think to, to your point, chronic homelessness, it for me, it feels akin to you know, climate change or some of these other issues that just seem in, intractable. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a population that, you know, you probably don't have exposure to every day for a lot of us who are professionals uh, or affluent. Mm -hmm. And it, it just seems like, 
you know, this, the systems that the state, be it local, state, or federal level, has created to try to address the problems has never really worked. Right. And so I, what's really intriguing to me is your firm taking some of the lessons derived from venture capital and applying them to social issues and, and having an impact that way. So maybe talk about the genesis of this through the Y Combinator program and, and how that DNA is imprinted on how you all work within yeah. this space. Absolutely. And I'll actually take a step back as well and talk a little bit about the founding story too. How did we even come across this issue and how did our team become inspired to address it? So Brett Hagler, our CEO, um, in 2014 went on a trip to Haiti. And this was, I believe, about four years after the really devastating earthquake that happened over there. And he was on a mission trip hoping to help organizations build homes and basically realized that despite the millions and millions of dollars that had been poured into rebuilding efforts over there, that relatively speaking, there was quite little to show for that investment. And that's not any one person's fault or any one organization or government's fault. It's really just the fact that the affordable housing sector just hasn't seen innovation in a really long time. We're just not able to build homes really quickly and great quality in a way that's affordable at the rate that we need to. And so, right, to, to your point earlier, I think homelessness is an issue that you don't really see until it's almost too late, right? And, you know, even in the U.S., you know, we've seen entire cities be wiped out by hurricanes and natural disasters and the rebuilding efforts are so challenging because we haven't invested in affordable housing solutions. So, and that's kind of how New Story came about, really Brett identifying the need to innovate within the affordable housing sector. And so he and our co-founders, Ali and Matthew and Mike, really kind of came together to try to build the most unique and innovative nonprofit addressing housing. And so, right, as you mentioned, innovation and R&D is baked into our DNA. The whole thesis behind New Story is how do we drive innovation within affordable housing? Because right now there aren't enough solutions that enable us to address it at the rate that we need to. And sorry, yeah, in terms of Y Combinator, that was a key piece in our growth journey. Luckily, we were accepted to the Y Combinator Accelerator program, and that really helped us. It was really a launching pad for our organization. And luckily, a lot of the partnerships that we've built and kind of the strategies that we've rallied around have been largely supported by and inspired by Y Combinator as well. So were you with the team during the Y Combinator experience or... I was not. <laughs> I joined in 2019. So I joined when New Story was four slash five years old. Yeah. It's such a cool program doing incredible things with their record of success. So maybe talk a little bit about, you know, exactly what you do to address these problems. Like, how do you work? What is the work that, that you do to try to tackle this huge issue? Yeah. So... Right. It's a it's a huge issue. It's very complex, very intersectional, multiple layers. But I think at its core, there are really three themes around affordable housing that we look to address, which is speed of just the speed and rate at which we're able to build uh, the quality of the homes that we're able to build at that speed. And then the cost, how much does it cost to build an affordable house? And so that's kind of the lens that we think through a lot of our work. And there are other innovations that aren't maybe as directly related to those three themes, but also are a key part of our strategy. One of them being human-centered design. 
So we make sure to incorporate the feedback of the families that we serve into the actual building of our homes to make sure that we are building products that are sustainable and that are actually servicing our families in the ways that they need. And and so give us a sense of what that speed and cost looks like. What are are we talking about here in terms of time frame and actual dollar amounts? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to say any specific numbers just because, right, every country, every region has its own set of materials and set of challenges surrounding affordable housing. But for new stories, intents and purposes, we consider affordable housing to be a home that costs $10,000 or less. And so that's kind of really the the number that we work around, that's our goal to, we, we consider that to be our target. And how do you, how do you work internationally? Is it, are they through public private partnerships? Are there other nonprofit networks that you operated? Because it seems like it's only international, or do you also have domestic in the U.S. operations? So as of right now, our work is focused internationally, and that is because of the cost piece of everything. So in order to innovate, you know, we we found that whether it's materials or kind of the cost of, right, trying new things, it's much cheaper to help buy a plot of land in a rural area of a country outside of the U.S. and, and work there rather than domestically where you know, the regulations and kind of cost of everything is much more uh, challenging to work with in in terms of an innovation perspective. Um, So yeah, as of right now, we've previously built homes in Mexico, Haiti, El Salvador, and Bolivia. That being said, in 2020, we did have one very unique project where we worked with US-based families. And this was during kind of the, the height of the pandemic when a lot of communities were losing jobs and losing access to income and therefore being uh, therefore they were made vulnerable to becoming homeless and so we actually had a kind of temporary project in 2020 where we provided rent relief for families within atlanta and the bay area just because those are the areas that our offices are in but yeah so that's that's we do primarily work internationally though yeah a challenge during the last year for sure and it, it's it, your presentation and the pre-call that we had referenced open source solutions. Yep. Could you talk about, because that, that's kind of a VC tech term, right? But how do you, <laughs> yeah. how do you apply that within the, the nonprofit space? Absolutely. So we recognize that us as New Story alone can't build 1.6 billion homes or you know, are able to scale at the rate that's necessary to address this very global issue. And so what we do do is we kind of are very transparent about the things that we've tried and the things that we're working on so that the solutions that do work or even kind of the failures that we've learned from, we can share that with other organizations so that, right, other organizations can take what we've learned and apply that to their communities directly as well. Um, And so that's, that's kind of the goal of open sourcing, quote unquote, if you will, just really sharing what we learn with the world because like it benefits nobody for us to keep any of our learnings to ourselves. And this is maybe an unfair question, but when I think about venture capital and, you know, social impact investing, because our, our families focus on the education space, these, these intractable big problems have all these knock-on effects. I mean, when you think about providing homes for people, what are the, what are the trickle-down impacts that, that has that maybe people don't fully appreciate or realize if you've, if you've never had to struggle with access to shelter. Right. I mean, 
homes are just so foundational to having a happy life and one way you're able to work towards something. And so, right, the, the impact of homes isn't just having shelter. It's being able to focus on your job without fear of somebody stealing all of your belongings while you're working. It's kids being able to study in a safe environment and you know, get an education. It's also an asset that families are able to pass down to their children. And also there's kind of the more, I guess, the, the, the physical benefit of having a lot of homes grouped together is community. And, you know, communities are the basis of, you know, strong societies. And so we've seen a lot of families kind of start businesses and work with each other. And right, once a community is built, the opportunities are endless in terms of right what what our beneficiary families are able to work towards. And so, right, a home quite literally might just be shelter, but what it means is far far greater than that. And doing some some research before this conversation, seems like the numbers of people who don't have access to shelter or to find it on some levels homeless, which is a, a fluid continuum. Mm-hmm. have gone up recently. Why do you think that is? Does that mean why has affordable housing issues expanded recently? You know, technology has allowed GDP for most of the world to expand. Mm-hmm. And more and more people have access to that technology, which in theory will elevate their quality of life and decrease cost of living. Right. But access to affordable housing, especially in the third world, has become a larger and larger problem, which is creating some of these migratory issues that we're seeing play out in our own backyard. And this is probably a big question, but why is that? Well, I can speak from kind of personal opinion, what I think might be happening, because of course there are much larger macro level kind of themes that are probably playing into the affordable housing crisis. But I really do think it boils down to lack of innovation and the lack of prioritization of innovating within affordable housing. Because I mean, if you think about homes, for most people, a house is the most expensive thing that you own, right? And so it is a very expensive problem to address. And right now, I think it's difficult to pinpoint who's responsible for innovating in the affordable housing space. Is it the responsibility of governments to find new technologies? Is it the responsibility of the private sector? Well, there isn't really a clear answer there. And I think because of that, there isn't much going on in terms of prioritizing those who need to live in spaces affordably. And so that problem just kind of keeps on building on itself and spiraling. And so you have, you know, people who can afford to live in homes, continuing to live in homes, but then, you know, as affordability decreases, just right, the the problem just continues to grow and we're not able to address it. So I personally think the root of the issue is lack of innovation and the lack of kind of all parties prioritizing housing as right a need to be creative and find solutions because it is such a a daunting space, right? It's expensive. Homelessness is an expensive issue. So yeah, I I would say from my perspective, that's that's kind of the core of it. And and that must be, I mean, there must be some really interesting conversations happening within the hallways of your, or I guess, you know, virtual hallways these days, (laughs) but because your board and your your core group of of investors and, and folks backing you are for the most part Silicon Valley tech entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So does that when you interface with other 
nonprofits trying to address this issue, do you think you're just fundamentally looking at it from a different perspective because of that backing and, and that lens through which you're looking at the problem? Yeah, I mean, I think philanthropy and just the nonprofit space, so us being a nonprofit, does kind of give us the flexibility to, to try new things and to right, think of the issue in a different way because we have people who believe in us and aren't seeking to make a profit from our work, right? That enables us to take bigger risks and to try new things because we are a nonprofit. We are not trying to benefit directly from from the work that we're doing we really want to answer questions and so i think that's the advantage of us being a nonprofit while being backed by minds that understand that risk is necessary in order to make leaps and bounds within innovating and creating new things what's the the goal moving moving forward i mean it's a, it's a, as you say we're talking big numbers here but leveraging technology and creating this open source concept and experimenting and maybe providing some solution sets for others. I mean, what's the realistic vision here? Call it the next five, 10 years. Yeah, so um, that's actually a very well-timed question because we just figured out what our 10-year goal is going to be. And that is to house 1 million people in the next 10 years, which is a very lofty goal. And we recognize that, but we think that it's important to have that kind of big, hairy, audacious goal to work towards to force ourselves to think outside the box and be creative. And now that we've put that number out there, you know, we're excited about the potential partnerships that could draw. And hopefully it challenges us to be really creative. I think what, one topic that we actually haven't spoke about just yet is our 3D printing project. That's just one example of a way that we hope to inspire creativity within the sector. And so I guess to elaborate on that, one really unique project that New Story worked on or has been working on for the past couple of years has been that we've helped pioneer a 3D printing machine that can 3D print homes. And it got a lot of attention in the press and the media, which is great, but really what the biggest victory around that project was, was just challenging people to think differently about what technologies and solutions can we apply to this issue. And I think, you know, if we do inspire lots of people to realize that, you know, we, we have really advanced technology out there, what does it look like to apply it to affordable housing and those who need it the most? I think, right, by inspiring that question and, and inspiring others to think about such topics, hopefully that kind of, again, builds momentum around what we're able to create within the affordable housing sector. That, that is a big, hairy goal. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, but we, we don't anticipate on doing that completely alone. We are in the process of building partnerships, either existing ones and new ones, and basically rallying organizations and groups to help us get there, and some governments as well. So, um, right, it's, it's really not one million by new story alone. It's collectively inspired by our team. How can we get to a million? And COVID has taught us all a lot of lessons. Some of them have been humbling, but there's been some innovations. How has it changed your business and, and your firm? And what are the lessons learned there? Yeah. So, I mean, internally, just we've gotten really good at, I guess, being virtual and, and working in different geographies, which seems like not a huge deal because a lot of companies have been forced to do that. But as a country, I'm sorry, as an organization that works internationally, it has, or the season of COVID has forced us to just get that much more skilled at working across geographies. And so excitingly, we are 
soon launching a Mexico City office, which is super exciting. But in general, also how we interact with our families as well. We've been exploring ways and technologies to kind of further improve that process. Typically, when we work with our families, we engage with them a lot to, again, understand their feedback around what types of features would they be looking for in their homes and communities. And so recently, we've doing, been doing a lot of that work, kind of over connecting over smartphone technology and over kind of, yeah, the virtual space, which has been a unique and interesting challenge. But who knows, potentially down the line could definitely work to our advantage. Well, Thank you for joining us. This has been super interesting. I think it's a bigger problem than people realize. And, and much like education, access to housing, kind of like healthcare is a, is a basic universal right. Mm-hmm. And it does have all these just huge domino effects of if you can't check that basic box, you really can't be aspirational in the other way. And it's really all it's doing is dragging down these economies from operating at, 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 at their full capacity, which in turn just impacts all of us. So huge problem. I love the fact that you're taking on this just really difficult space and that, you know, you went from Goldman Sachs to this. It's, it's incredible. If people want to get involved, they want to learn more about the work you all do and support it, or you specifically, what, what's the best way for them to get engaged? Yeah. I mean, I guess the most obvious way to get involved is to kind of donate towards our mission and our cause. Particularly, we have a couple of recurring donation programs that are particularly helpful just because it enables us to plan ahead and just kind of understand, right, just like steady source of revenue, that type of um, thing. But yeah, I mean, the, the financial capital that supporters could provide is definitely huge. That's what funds the homes that we build. But kind of the, I guess, less obvious way is just also sharing our work, inviting our team to to new spaces and communities to talk about this issue and what we're doing is also extremely helpful, connecting us with others that could also support us. And if people wanted to learn more about our work, a great way to do that is um, by watching the episode about us on Apple TV. There's a docuseries called Home and we are features featured as episode nine. And so that's a really great 40 minute way to really understand who we are and what we're trying to do. So yeah, there's kind of the the donation side, but also just sharing our work is immensely helpful as well. Awesome. Well, I've done a little bit of homework on it. I've checked out the website. I've talked to my wife who's in the philanthropy space as well. So I, I definitely encourage people to to you know connect with Ellen, connect with the organization, learn more about what they're doing because it is incredible work. So thank you again for joining us, telling the story. I wish you the best of luck, and I look forward to tracking your progress. And if you need a Wesleyan alum to come out to Hawaii, and you know, just we could do some interviews, we could do some alumni work, we could we could recruit some people. I'm I'm happy to throw my hat in the ring and sacrifice my time to go to, to Hawaii to help. So just putting it out there. Yeah, well, come on over to Honolulu, and thank. <laughs> so much for for having me it's it's always great to to chat and the opportunity to to share more about news story is very special so thanks so much brian cool thanks alan i appreciate it thank you for joining the conversation on colloquium if you enjoyed what you heard in this episode please like rate or leave us a review and stay tuned for our next episode coming soon
ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.